Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Thank you, worship team. Thanks for flowing in that. Thanks, Clint, for your sensitivity to the spirit and what you spoke over our church this morning. And for those of you who maybe aren't used to an experience like you just experienced, I just want you to know it's just a special grace and a special touch of God uh, in our service this morning for you and for all of us. I pray that it serves as an encouragement uh, encouragement to you. so glad that each of you are here sincerely for uh, those of you who are new to our church and you've joined us in the past couple of months. Uh, I just want to say a special welcome to you and, uh, and just say how grateful that we are that God has brought you to be part of this body and this family. And if you've not gone through Growth Track, we'd encourage you to go through Growth Track. Uh, you'll learn more about the past of our church and the future as well as discover your giftings. And, uh, and we just want you to be uh, a part. If you've not found a serve team to be a part of, please find one of the pastors on staff. And you say, well, who are all the pastors? Well, go to our website, crosspointwaverly.com. Go to the staff page and you will see them there. Before I dive into the message, I just want to recognize a very special couple in our church. PG, Pastor Gruber and Darlene are sitting on the front row. They are they lead our children's ministry here. PG oversees all of the children's ministry. Darlene oversees the early childhood classrooms. And I just want you to know that we are so, so grateful for both of you. This past week, I had the opportunity to be at a conference, and uh, there was a a man who was a youth pastor for a number of years who spoke, and he said that recently he was at uh, a church planting conference, and all of the up-and-coming church planters knew who this guy was. And so somebody asked him, they said, how do do all of these people know who you are? And he says, I guess it's from all of the times of speaking at their youth camps and youth conventions. And then in the same breath, he said that, uh, that he listed off a number of people that he was the youth pastor for. And these are big names, nationally named people that some of you would recognize. And he was their youth pastor. And his encouragement to those in the room was you never know who's in the room. You never know. And PG and Darlene, I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness to children's ministry and the legacy and the heritage that is already behind you. And we know that your best days are ahead. And so I think about uh, the number of missionaries around the world, the number of ministers and evangelists that came up through a children's ministry that you were the children's pastor of. And it just fills my heart with joy. And I know the seriousness and the weight and the responsibility that you take when it comes to leading the kids because you just don't know. You just never know the kids that are in the room and the impact that they're having right now on their classmates as well as the impact that they're gonna have for the kingdom of God moving forward. And so I just wanna honor you and say thank you so much for all that you do for the kids at Crosspoint. 
He's incredible. You know, uh, a few months ago, he was on a Zoom call leading a training session to a, another country. And then last week, he was at uh, a kids' men conference where they asked him to do one of the breakout sessions. And so it's just amazing for our church to have the resource that we have with children's ministry. Like, he's second to none, and he's speaking at these places and encouraging other leaders and doing a phenomenal job here and making an investment. So one last time, we love you. Thank you. Y'all are the best. Over the past few weeks, we've been in a series about Lent leading up to Resurrection Sunday. As I prayed about what to preach in these weeks leading up to Easter, I felt like the Holy Spirit directed me this year to focus on the season of Lent and to prepare our hearts for a familiar yet supernatural moment. As we think about Resurrection Sunday, we know the events leading up to that day. The brutal beating, the hanging upon the cross, the death, the burial, and the ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. My prayer for the, through this series is that it would prepare our hearts that this Easter Sunday, our hearts would be filled with an even greater sense of joy and gratitude. Lent is a season of 40 days before Easter where Christians fast and pray and refocus their lives on God. It's a season for lament and repentance and anticipation. And during Lent, we pour out our grief and sin, our pain and regret, holding nothing back. And as we do, God holds nothing back from us, pouring out himself for our redemption. In the past few weeks, we've talked about lament. Lament, simply put, is feeling sorrow and wailing. So we talked about feeling sorrow and wailing over personal sin. We recognize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We talked about, in the second week, lamenting national and global and church sin. And last week, we took it to the next level, moving from lamenting to repentance. We moved from feeling sorrow and wailing about sin to talk about repentance, a literal turning away from sin. If you've missed any of these weeks, we'd encourage you to watch online at crosspointwaverly.com uh, or find us on Facebook or YouTube. This week, we're going to move from lament and repentance to anticipation. Lament and repentance to anticipation. Anticipation means excitement about something that's going to happen or the act of preparing for something. Excitement about something that is going to happen or the act of preparing for something. Lament and repentance bring an anticipation for God's work of grace and holiness to begin in our lives. We will anticipate and experience God's sanctifying work during Lent. We can anticipate not only the sorrow, but the experience of forgiveness in our dependence on God. We can anticipate Christ's saving work and new life in him. In her book, What is Lent?, Sarah Phillips wrote, Lent is a time to open the doors of our hearts a little wider and understand our Lord a little deeper. So that when Good Friday and eventually Easter comes, it's not just another day at church, but an opportunity to receive the overflowing of graces God has to offer. And that's what we're after. I want us to turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 this morning. If you can also scroll on your digital devices, Philippians chapter 1. We begin reading verse number 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the leaders and to the believers in the church in Philippi, and he begins this greeting to them by telling them who he is. I'm Paul and Timothy, and we're writing this letter. He begins with that, but more importantly, he moves from who he is to whose he is. What does he say? He says, we are Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ or servants of Christ. He moves beyond just his personal identity and talks about whose he is. He is a slave to Christ. And I wonder how many of the problems the church could solve if we would just remember whose we are. Like before we would ever do anything in life, engage in anything, that we would remember whose we are. In chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. And status was no less of a thing to Paul and Philippi as it is now for us. It's funny what people consider status. Some people look to their possessions to determine their status. Some look to what color tractor they drive uh, for status. Others look to their achievements or their education or their occupation, their age, the balance in their bank account, and a whole host of other things to to determine their status. Uh, Here's a silly example. When Eric and I were serving overseas as missionaries uh, in a previous era, uh, there were missionaries who would, their status would be on how cheap and how crappy their hotel was. So when they would go to an event and you would show up to breakfast or show up for the meeting, the conversation didn't revolve around how are you and what's God doing in your ministry. It was where did you stay at last night? And they would size each other up based off of how cheap and how crappy the hotel was. That was the status symbol for them. I'm grateful that we moved beyond that. Instead, when the era that we were in, let's stay at a nice place at a great rate. You know, like we don't uh, have to stay at the worst hotel. But you never wanted to be the first person to say where you stayed. You know, I stayed at this hotel and it was $5, you know, because the next person was inevitably going to say that their hotel room was $4 and even worse than what yours was. Status is so subjective, yet it has a powerful pull for people to keep up with the Joneses. And status, depending on the environment, can either lead to shame or boasting. So when you take the hotel uh, scenario, for instance, if a person stayed at the nicest hotel, it would lead to shame, and the person who stayed at the worst hotel would lead to boasting. And Paul inverts the prevailing social assumptions about what counted for real status in Roman Philippi, and he changed what constituted as grounds for shame or boasting. Paul doesn't pretend to be royalty in this letter. He says that he and Timothy are slaves to Christ. And in chapter 2, Paul uses the same language for Jesus. In verse number 5, 
He says, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus deliberately took on the form of a slave, and rather than focus on what society said was honorable, he chose to take on the form of a servant. In fact, Jesus slipped a number of what is defined as worldly wisdom on its head. And Paul chose to focus on following Christ's example, which was an example not about selfish ambition and rank or climbing a societal ladder. Instead, Paul essentially states his utter dependence on and complete obligation to his master. He states that he was owned by and fully submitted to someone else. And serving Jesus was more important, and the relational bond that he had with God was far more valuable than any other measure of status that he could have come up with. So while others were vying to be on the who's who of the ancient world, Paul was taking a different, more humble approach. He addresses this to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. And then in verse number two, he speaks grace and peace to them. Paul loved the Philippian people, like the church in Philippi. He loved them. And he had some pretty significant memories there. It was there that Lydia became the first convert in Europe and her whole family. It was also there where uh, Paul cast out the demon out of this slave girl, and when the owners realized that they were no longer going to be able to profit off of her, then they were upset with Paul and had he and Timothy arrested. And so it was in a jail in Philippi where rather than soak in their sorrow that Paul and Timothy began to pray and sing songs of praise to God. And as they did, an earthquake happened. The foundations of the jail were shaken and, uh, and Paul and Timothy were miraculously delivered from, from the jail. And so it's no wonder that Paul has an affection for this group of people. He had quite the memories from his time there. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 16 if you're curious. So Paul's greeting to them is easy of grace and peace. And so now he's gone through this, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus, and he says to who all this is for, the saints and to the overseers and the deacons in Philippi, and grace and peace be to you. And if you're reading this letter for the very first time, anticipation has to be building. Like, what is he going to say? He loves us. He loves what God has done here. What? Anticipation has to be building, but what is he going to say? And, and so here's what he says. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The anticipation would have been building is what is Paul going to say to them, and he does. I know in our lives we can experience anticipation in all kinds of things, and sometimes we can anticipate something and it turns out better than we expected. Sometimes we can anticipate something that we think is going to be so amazing only to be let down when it isn't. There are also times when we can anticipate that something is going to be the absolute worst case scenario, and instead it's not. So we can anticipate this season of Lent actually experiencing God's sanctifying work in our lives. And as he does that, we're not going to be disappointed. 
So from our lament and repentance, we can experience God's grace, his mercy, power, love, and forgiveness. What's the forgiveness that we experience? Well, Warren Quanbook in his book, Forgiveness, writes, forgiveness is the act by which God brings sinful man into right relationship to himself. It's an act of grace that is of undeserved favor on the basis of the work of God in Jesus Christ and is offered for the repentant sinner who trusts God's word of promise. Lent is a time of sanctification. As we fast and pray, we open our lives to the Holy Spirit to do the work of the Holy Spirit's change in our lives. Paul wrote that he and Timothy were slaves of Christ, that they were not their own, that they had been bought with a price. And we too are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Jesus' life for our eternal life. And so in this series, we've explored, explored lament and repentance, which leads to sanctification, which is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life to refine men and women into the image of God. And so as we grow in our life with Christ, then we'll see even more qualities that represent a godly life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says his divine power, verse number 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them they may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the characteristics that should mark the lives of a follower of Jesus. Virtue. Knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. In verse number three, he says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then it says later, to escape the corruption of the world. And in verse number eight, he writes, for if these qualities are yours, if these are the qualities that you possess, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Watch this. He says, if these qualities are yours and increasing, if these qualities are yours and increasing, do you know that you can, you can grow and increase in virtue? Like, it's, you can. You can grow and increase in self-control. Some of you are like, mm, no, like I'm good on the other ones, but self-control, please don't. No, like we can. We can grow in self-control. We can increase in there. We can increase instead fastness. Who hasn't wanted to give up or quit at some point in their life? You can increase and grow in steadfastness and resilience. You can increase in godliness and brotherly affection and love. And as you possess these and grow in these, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus, how many of you want to be effective and fruitful for the glory of God? I know I do. 
Like, I don't want to be unfruitful in this life. Instead, I want to be effective and fruitful. And at salvation, God began his work in us. He began the work of sanctification in our lives, and he wants to complete that work in our lives. Again, Paul in verse number six says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In the Philippians uh, commentary, Hughes shared this story and then a couple of thoughts here. He said, when theologian Broughton Knox was serving as a young chaplain in the British Navy on a ship preparing for D-Day in the invasion of Normandy, he noted that the minds of all hands on board, regardless of rank, were focused on the invasion's success. No one thought of his own interests, but only on how he could help his shipmates in their commonly shared tasks. He says, I remember noting in my mind how I had never been happier. After the invasion and return to England, everyone noticed a difference in the atmosphere on the ship. It was still friendly because it was a well-run ship. But several of the sailors, sensing the difference, asked the young chaplain why things had changed. And Knox reflects, the answer was quite simple. During those months that preceded and followed D-Day, our thoughts had a minimum of self-centeredness in them. We gave ourselves to our shared activity and objective. Once the undertaking was over, we reverted to our own purposes as we do normally. Broughton Knox was, of course, reflecting on his ship's experience of the fellowship that people experience in pursuing a common goal. And Hughes goes on to say that human friendship is a wonderful thing, but fellowship goes beyond friendship. And he says, fellowship occurs among friends committed to a common cause or goal and flourishes through their common pursuit of it. In other words, not just over coffee and donuts, but instead serving together, finding areas of life where, uh, where people can serve together and grow together. And the Philippians had been partners with Paul and his ministry for a significant part of time. And so in this passage, Paul is remembering their help and giving thanks to God for them. Their fellowship had been deep. And again, it was over more than just eating food and drinking drinks together. Instead, there was a fellowship of serving together and advancing the kingdom. They had shared with Paul to meet his physical needs while he was in prison. And Paul loved this group of people. And one of the things that he loved about them is that even when they were facing persecution, they boldly proclaimed the gospel and they contended for the faith. Later in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 27, he writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I, Paul, come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So again, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul states who he is and whose he is. He's Paul, a slave of Christ. And in verse number 27, he reminds them of whose they are. And he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And in verse 29, he tells them that they should not only believe in him, but also suffer for Christ's sake. He reminds them whose they are and says, don't lose heart, just as I haven't lost heart. The believers in Philippi would have been upset 
of Paul being in jail. And Paul, while still in prison, is writing this letter facing uh, possible death. He writes and he thanks God for all of them and making his prayer with joy. Joy was not a feeling for Paul. It was an attitude. Joy was not a feeling for Paul. It was an attitude. No less than 15 times in this letter, he will encourage the church to be joyful. And he wants the church to know that just because they are distressed about him being in jail, jail has not robbed him of his joy. He models the joy that he will command the Philippians to have. As I mentioned earlier this past week, I was at a conference, and uh, one of the nights there was a guy who I've never met before who was uh, leading worship. And he sat behind the keyboard, and before he started, he just began sharing his story. He said that nine years ago, uh, he received a kidney from his sister. And now, uh, a few weeks ago, he received the diagnosis that the kidney was failing. He'd been pastoring a church and understanding the toll that it's going to take on him. He's since stepped down from the church. And he just said that uh, as he began to, to play and lead us in worship on Thursday night, he just said, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity right now to be alive and to lead in worship. And I just thought, what an incredible attitude of joy that even in the midst of a horrible health diagnosis, this man says, God's not done with me. God's not done. And so with gratitude, I'm going to say thank you, God, that I still have breath in my lungs. Thank you, God, that even tonight that I can have an opportunity to minister and to worship. And all of that, he had joy. And as believers, I'm just telling you, it's not always easy to have an attitude of joy. But as Paul would encourage the church in Philippi, I will encourage all of us today that even in the midst of adversity, that we would choose joy. Not a feeling, but an attitude to say, God, whatever comes, I'm going to put my trust and my joy in you. Paul's encouragement of God finishing a good work revealed the larger work of grace that God was doing in the lives of his people. And this expression, completing what one has begun, is a major theme in his letter. On the one hand, God is responsible for completing in every believer what he's began, and it's his goal to conform every believer to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. On the other hand, it's the believer's responsibility to cooperate with God so that this work can be made complete. So some of you have been anticipating this morning why there is milk sitting on this stand here. And you're like, like, are you drinking milk now instead of water when you preach? Milk, it does the body good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Wow. First service, I got nothing. <laughs> nothing. Like nobody smirk. I mean, and then I was like, don't you remember the commercials? And then they just gave me that look, but yeah, but they had better bodies than you. It doesn't work for you to say that. I know it's harsh. It's really harsh. So, you know, we, I love chocolate milk. I never in my life would have dreamed that there was a gas station in Iowa that would sell the best chocolate milk on the planet. Like nature's touch chocolate milk is just honey from heaven. Like it is. It's amazing. And so when our, my family from Memphis comes up, we make sure that there's chocolate milk in the fridge. And this is not a selfless ploy to say, hey, please stop, uh, stock our refrigerator with chocolate milk. We're good on chocolate milk. I don't need any more chocolate milk. It does not do a body good. You know what I'm saying? 
But we've got my family hooked on, on Nature's Touch chocolate milk. So every time we go to Memphis, we freeze uh, as many chocolate milk bags as we can and stick it in a cooler and take it there because they love uh, the chocolate milk as well. But before I discovered Nature's Touch chocolate milk, We had Hershey's syrup, and just for the record, uh, Nestle, we love you. Thank you for being in our community, but they didn't have any uh, at the store that I went to, so we're going to use Hershey's instead of Nestle's chocolate milk. And so when I wanted to drink chocolate milk before, I had to grab some syrup and put it in a cup. How many have ever done this? When should I stop? Some of you are like, never, you know? You're like, just load that thing up. Somebody in first service was like, oh, but then you got to put sugar in it. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, if, if you, somebody seriously grew up putting sugar uh, in that. I can't even imagine. Like, that's, it's so rich. This has all the ingredients of being chocolate milk because it doesn't need additional sugar. Like, it just doesn't. I'm sorry. But how many know that it doesn't taste like chocolate milk right now? It just doesn't. It has all the ingredients, but it doesn't taste like it yet. And here's where I believe that some of you are in this room today, that you've asked Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of your life, and the Holy Spirit has entered into your life And you're a follower of him, but you've stopped there. And so for some, like there's still the old life that's hanging on. There's still the sin that so easily entangles in. And you've not been quite set free from that. And as we talk about, uh, as we talk about lamenting and repentance and anticipation of Christ completing the work that he's begun in us. He starts the work and he completes it, but there's a part that we have in this and one of the parts that we have in this is to ask the Holy Spirit to stir it up in us to stir up that work of sanctification in our lives and as he does look what happens like this is not magic y'all it's just mm. wow that's good some of you are like wow that that looks amazing. And I'm just going to tell you, it is. It was just the right amount of chocolate with just the right amount of milk. And Fisher waited till the last moment to pull it out of the fridge. So it still has chill to it. It's great. Here's what I believe that God wants to do in us. Is that he wants to complete that work in us so that when others look at our life, not for our glory, but for God's glory, they go, wow, that's sweet. Oh, I've got to have some of that. Here's what I want us to do. We've been talking about it for the last few weeks, and we're going to keep talking about it leading up to Easter, that God really does want to prepare our hearts for a familiar yet supernatural moment. And so I want to encourage all of us today that we would ask Jesus, that we would ask the Holy Spirit 
to complete the work that he started in us and that there would be a noticeable difference in us and that as we go to our workplaces, as we go to family meetings, as we go to our job, as we go to our school, that people would recognize that on this day that God did something to us that changed the very nature of who we are. Like there's still something that exists. We're still recognizable, but because of what Christ has done in us, it's so sweet and it's so different and others are gonna want it. In verses 9 through 11, he says, Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He says that your love may abound more and more. This vertical love of God that we would know and that we would love God in in such a powerful way and then out of our love for God would be an overflow that would flow out of us in a horizontal relationship with others. And then he goes on that the love would abound more and more and the knowledge and the discernment of God, the knowledge of God. And I just want to say for some of you in the room this morning, you're like, well, I just don't know a whole lot about Bible and I don't know a whole lot about Jesus. Again, you can grow in your relationship with him. You can grow in your knowledge for him. And what Paul is saying to the believers in Philippi and even through me to us today is this, that we can grow in our relationship with him. We can grow in our love for him and love for others, and we can grow in our knowledge for him. He prays that the love would abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. In verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. Y'all, we need discernment as followers of Jesus to discern not just what is good or bad, what is excellent, what does God want for us. One final thought. In the Philippians commentary, Hughes writes, if God's children overflow with love to God and others, along with a growing personal knowledge of God and Christ and practical insight, they will be able to discern and choose what is superlative, the best over the second best, the best over the good, the best in knowledge of God, the best in priorities, the best in habits, the best in pleasures, the best in pursuits, the best course of action for themselves and for their families. Paul's desire was not that the Philippians would just have Christ in them, but that they would allow the Holy Spirit to stir them up and to complete the work that he's begun in them. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there's some of you who've come in today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you say, today I want to become a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God but you've turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three, lift them up all across this room. I see those hands. One, two, three, four. You can put them down. Are there others this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand all across this room. these four hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me. Mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of you 
Each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. prayed that prayer, we want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made today, the journey that God wants to take you on. If you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998, text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Before we leave, I want to pray over us today. How many of you would join with me and pray this scary, bold prayer and say, God, stir it up in me. Stir it up in me. Complete the work that you've begun in me. I want to pray over you right now, Jesus. I thank you for every hand that's up, for every head that nodded. This morning of people who are praying a bold prayer to say, stir it up in me. Complete the work that you've started. And Lord, I pray as Clint prophesied earlier, as we've already prayed this morning and as we continue to pray right now, that you would complete the work that you've begun in us, that you would stir us up, that all of the dross, all of the sin, all of the things in our lives that aren't glorifying to you, that don't leave a good taste in people's mouths or uh, leave a, a pleasant smell, it would be gone in the name of Jesus and in its place would be the virtues that were outlined this morning. God, I pray that as you stir up the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and as you complete the work that it would be a pleasant fragrance to those around us, that it would be a sweet sound and a sweet taste, that people would recognize that there's something different in us, not for our glory, but for your glory. God, we go back to what Paul said. We're simply servants and slaves of you. We have no desire for recognition. We have no desire for ambition or selfish ambition. Instead, God, we want you to be famous. We want people to know you and to love you and to be set free. And so, God, I pray in this room, in this moment, that you would keep stirring it up. Say it with me this morning. Stir it up. Say it with me. Stir it up. God, stir it up within us today, and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Prayer team's moving forward. We're going to try something different today and have them off to the side. We leave time at the end of our service. If you've come today, you raised your hand earlier, you raised your hand now, and you just want somebody to pray that over you, I would encourage you as the worship team begins to sing to just step out of your seat and come receive prayer this morning. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.